All right, I'm going to jump into the message today. As I said, I, I come to you with a sense of reverence, just a, a weight on my heart, to just share with you where I really feel like what the Lord is calling us to do in 2021. So this is really more of a, a message from my heart than it really is a sermon uh, today. If there was a word, if there was a theme that I felt like the Lord laid on my heart concerning this year, the direction we need to head is simply this. It is to move forward. You, I was sitting there and I was praying in this sanctuary, uh, probably back in October of this last year, saying, God, what is it that you're calling us to do? And this, this weight upon my heart was just simply this, to continue to go forward. You see, there's a lot of things that stopped. There's a lot of things that shut down over this last year. But one thing that never stopped was Jesus Christ's commission to the church was to go and to make all the nations disciples of him. He told us to go into all these nations and to be his witness. And that doesn't ever need to stop. It doesn't matter what you're facing in life. It doesn't matter what circumstances surround us. The Great Commission is never to be put on hold. It's to always go forward. And that's really what I felt like in my heart that God is calling us to do. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm one of those people that I hate leaving a project unfinished. Is there any OCD people in the room that when you start a project, you have to finish it, and if you don't finish it, you're just laying awake at night with anxiety, with a burden, because you know there's, there's things that aren't done? That needs to be a heart of the church in this season, because we know God's mandate for his people is to give people the hope that is Jesus Christ, and we know according to the word that God has gone before us, and we need to walk in confidence, knowing that he has called us to fulfill that great commission, and there needs to be a burden on our hearts until that work is done. So for 2021, we need to go forward with the path that God has laid out for us. Now today, we're going to look at a, a gentleman in Scripture who has fulfilled his mandate from heaven, his commission from God. He was a man who inspires a lot of us. He had a, he had a mandate from his creator, and that was to go and to inhabit a promised land. And this mandate was given by God himself as a promise from generation to generation. And the man that we're going to look up today is Caleb. Caleb is seriously one of my favorite people in Scripture. He's a man who never stopped going forward. He was a man who wouldn't allow any sort of circumstance to hinder his progress. He was constantly moving forward to what he felt like God had called him to do in spite of whatever difficulties that he encountered. So if you have your Bibles with you today, let's look in Joshua chapter number 14. Joshua chapter number 14. We're going to start reading in verse number six. As you follow along today, here's what the scripture says. It says, the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal and Caleb, the son of Jeshunah, the Kizanite said to him, you know that the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kesha Bardia concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought him a word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers went, who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which you your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you wholly follow the Lord my God. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he has said. These 45 years since the time Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness, and now behold, I am this day 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is the strength as it was then. 
for war and for coming and going. So now give me the hill country of which the Lord had spoken to me on that day. You heard on that day how the Echonim were there in the fortified cities, but it may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out as the Lord has said. And Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jethum, uh, for its inheritance. Therefore, Hebron became an inheritance to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kizzite, on this day, because he wholly followed the Lord his God of Israel. Caleb was a man who never stopped moving forward. And if this story doesn't get you fired up, then there's nothing that's going to get you fired up. One of my favorite movies is Braveheart. Do we have any Braveheart fans in the room? Love the movie Braveheart. Probably my favorite character within that movie, which is really dealing with the Scottish Revolution, is a man by the name of Campbell. And if you have watched the movie, he's the older gentleman who is there with the young guys as they're out in war. And Campbell just has this warrior spirit about him. He has this fighter mentality. He's just kind of a, an old salty guy that is not going to give up on the end of his life. He has dreamed about having his freedom his entire life. And now here's an opportunity for him to fight with his countrymen to earn his freedom. And it seems like throughout this movie, they're, this entire movie, they're just trying to kill Campbell. In the very first battle, he loses an arm. In the next battle, he gets shot with an arrow. And yet none of this stuff seems to kill him. He just keeps wanting to go and fight some more. And so finally, at the end of the movie, he is mortally wounded and he dies. However, he just has this spirit about him that is so inspiring throughout the movie. And when I read this passage about Caleb, I imagine he's a lot like Campbell from the movie Braveheart. He's at this point in his life, he's 85 years old. He's an old man, yet he is a fighter. He's a man of valor. He's a man of virtue and of faith. He's, he's a man's man, and he's a man who has some grit, and he has some personality that just oozes from him even through scripture. You get an idea that when you are around Caleb, it just, it just adds some fire to your bones and you want to be like him when you get to his age. And we have this exchange between Joshua, who is the successor to Moses. Joshua is Caleb's contemporary. And now Caleb is here reminding Joshua that he's followed God his entire life. And for the last 45 years, God has had this promise to him that he is going to inherit part of the promised land. And now he's at this place where he comes to Joshua and he says, look, I'm 85 years old and I'm not about to give up on the promise. I'm not going to leave this work unfinished. I'm going to keep going forward. Give me the land that God had promised me and I'm going to go take it. I know that there are giants there. I know that there are people there who made everybody else afraid, but I'm not afraid and I'm going to go do what no one else is willing to do. I'm going to go inhabit that land. Caleb might have been 85 years old, but what we see from this passage is that the fight isn't out of him. And if there's a big idea that we can learn from this passage today is that we need a spirit like Caleb. We need to be men and women of faith, of valor, and of resolve to never resign from moving forward from what God has called us to do as individuals and what God has called us to do as a church now, to really understand this passage, you have to go back to the very beginning and understand the context of this conversation. The context of this conversation that Joshua and Caleb are having, you can find in scriptures in Numbers chapter 14 
and Deuteronomy chapter number one. We don't have time to read the entire Old Testament to get a, 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 an overview of this, so let me summarize it for you in a, for a moment. We are in the Old Testament. We are in the portion of Scripture that is before Jesus, and God had given a promise to the family of Abraham. God came to Abraham and said, through your offspring, all of the generations of the world are going to be blessed. You're going to have, you're going to have a family that's so big, it's like the stars of the sky. You're not going to be able to number them. And ultimately, this promise was pointing to Jesus Christ, whom you and I were blessed through. So this promise to Abraham was ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. However, in the meantime, where we're at, this family has started to grow. Abraham had Isaac, Isaac had Jacob, and Jacob had 12 sons, and these 12 sons turned into 70, which turned into ultimately a race of people known as the Hebrews, the Israelites. Now, God had told them that they were going to fall into slavery, and that's exactly what happened. They fell into slavery in Egypt, and they were there for a purpose, and that purpose was is that God was going to show them how the redemptive process was going to work, that through a sacrifice, they could be redeemed from slavery, and they could inherit a promise, and that's ultimately what happens for us. Is again, pointing to Jesus. Jesus saves us from the slavery of sins, and he leads us to a promise, which is ultimately to spend eternity with him. Now, Caleb was born during the time in which the Hebrews were enslaved in Egypt. Caleb was born a slave, but Caleb was not going to die a slave. He was going to die a free man because God was on the move. Caleb saw God work through Moses to bring the deliverance to the Hebrew people. Caleb saw a miracle after miracle. You might be familiar with them. The plagues that God sent upon the, the Egyptians until they released the Israelites. Caleb was there on the night of the Passover. Caleb walked through the Red Sea on dry ground where there was a wall of water on his right and a wall of water on his left. Caleb was there when Moses struck a rock and water came flowing from that rock. Caleb was there for 40 years as he was eating manna coming from heaven and quail in the evening. He saw God descend upon the tabernacle. Caleb saw all of these things as he wandered in the wilderness with the Israelites. Now, after two years of being in the wilderness, God had prepared the people for conquest to take the promised land. He had given them the law. He had given them the building of the tabernacle. He said, now it is time for you to go inhabit the promised land. And God had led them to the edge of the promised land, and he was ready for the people to go take possession of it. Now, if you read in Deuteronomy, what you will see is that the people were standing on the edge of the promised land, and, and, the, and Moses wanted them to go ahead and start the conquest. But the people came to him and they were concerned. They said, first, let's spy out the land before we go. And so God confirmed that it was okay to send spies and Moses does. And Moses told the spies to go in there with good courage and to bring back some of the fruit. They were to bring back a good report of the land to inspire the people to go take possession of the land. They were not to go see if it was possible. They were going to see how amazing God's promised land was for them. Now, it's important to know who these 12 spies were. The Hebrew people at this point 
were about 2 million strong, and they were broken down into 12 tribes. And the spies were to be the leaders of the families, the leaders of these tribes. They were supposed to be the chiefs among the people. They were supposed to be the alpha males, so to speak, and they were commanded to gather the fruit. They were to not just go in there and just kind of try to, try to hide from the people. They were to go in there and to steal it. They were to go take it as a sign of saying, we're about to come take this land. Now, you might be thinking, well, why did God want to give them this land? Well, if you read the Canaanites who inhabited it were incredibly wicked people, and God had been pronouncing judgment on them and saying, if you don't, basically, if you don't turn away, then there's going to come a judgment. And now that time was coming. And so Joshua and Caleb were two of the spies who were sent to spy out the land. Caleb was from the tribe of Judah, and apparently he was the alpha male of his tribe. He was the leader. Now, Caleb has a super interesting history. If you start looking back through his family tree, some of his ancestors were actually Canaanites. And now he's about to go into this land and he's going to forsake his bloodline in order to to follow and honor God wholeheartedly. And so when the spies go into the land, the first place they go is Hebron, the very place that Joshua and Caleb are now discussing in our passage. Hebron's important because Hebron is where Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had all been buried. This was the burial place of their ancestors. This is the place where they were to remember the promises of God. They were to there to take a remembrance that God had promised to give them this land. But instead of seeing the promise, all they saw were the different obstacles in their way. And the narrative starts to shift. The 12 spies come back to Moses. And after spying out the land for 40 days, 10 spies gave a bad report. Joshua and Caleb were the only two that gave a good report. 10 spies said, it's not good. This land is, is, is amazing. We could prosper there. But the people who live there are big and they're scary. And there's no way we could go into this land, take it and survive. Joshua and Caleb fought for the truth. They tore their clothes as a sign of protest to the bad report. They told the people that God was with them and there was nothing to fear. But the people chose to believe the 10 negative spies instead of believing the report of Joshua and Caleb. Instead of remembering the timetable of the promises, instead of remembering Abraham and how God had spoke to him, instead of remembering Isaac and Jacob, instead of remembering the miracles that they had just seen a few years ago, instead they chose to look at the cities and they chose to look at a few giants. How quickly can we forget the promises of God? In Genesis chapter 15, God had laid out a table of nations and said, these people are living wicked, and you're going to be victorious over them. And yet they couldn't remember that God had told them what was going to happen. These 10 spies were denying the power of God. They were denying the promises of God, and they were even denying their very names. When you look at these 10 spies and you look at what their names meant in the Hebrew, it's amazing because their parents had given them names that represented the promises of God. Their wonderful names that their parents had given them didn't mean anything to them now because they didn't have faith in God. The land was a gift from God, but now they were speaking curses over that land saying, we can't take it. It's not good. And by default, they were speaking curses over God. Here's the point for us. When we forget the promises of God, we are always going to throw ourselves back into slavery of panic and back into slavery of anxiety. And that's exactly what happened to them. They denied the promises of God and it caused them to panic. 
They denied and they forgot the promises of God and it caused them fear. You see, God has given us some promises in this place today. God has promised us our salvation when we confess him as our savior, according to Romans 10. God has promised to give us life abundantly, according to John 10. God has promised to turn out all things to the good of those who love him, according to Romans 8. God has promised to supply all of our needs, according to Philippians 4. God has promised to be our healer, according to Isaiah 53. Those are just some of the promises that God has given us that we need to remember, we need to hold on to. These are promises that give us hope for an eternal future in heaven, but they also give us promises so that we don't have to panic when the world panics. There's panic all around us, and there's a lot of people that are stuck in slavery of fear. And we need to remember the promises of God. That doesn't mean we live foolish, but what it does mean is that we keep going forward and we never allow ourselves to get stuck spiritually in our life. So how could the spies forget the promises of God after everything they've seen? After the plagues of the Passover, after the party of the Red Sea, after the, the man and the quail, how could they forget? The answer is twofold. They forgot the promises of God because they forgot that the promises of God are not dependent upon their ability or their role. See, a lot of us, we forget the promises of God because we think we're the ones responsible We think we have to do something. We forget the sufficiency of the work of Jesus Christ at the cross. Every promise of God is rooted in the cross of Jesus Christ. And when he said it is finished, the work in every single one of our lives is finished. All we are called to do at this point is to trust him and walk in obedience to him. The work that that God was going to do through these people was already done. The land was already theirs. All they had to do was trust God and walk in obedience Their role was not to offer an opinion as to what should be done. Their role was to see how God wanted them to do it and then to walk that out. They were to point people to the promises, and they failed to do that. In our pursuit of the promises of God, never forget that God's promises are not dependent upon your goodness, upon your ability, or upon how smart you are. They're not dependent upon how much good you did today versus yesterday. The promises of God are dependent upon Jesus in your life. And that should give us hope, church. That should give us courage. I don't know about you, but I screw up a lot. You ever been there where you, you, you make mistakes time after time after time? That's me. And I imagine if we were all honest, that's a lot of us. We struggle sometimes, but God is always good. And we need to go forward. What we see here is that the 10 gave a report of death and Joshua and Caleb gave a report of faith and the 10 won. As a side note, that should give us a little insight that just because you're following the crowd doesn't necessarily validate your opinions. And the people followed the 10, they followed the majority and God was angry at them for losing faith. And the result was that they were not to enter the promised land. The punishment that God invoked upon the people is that they were to wander around in the wilderness for 40 years until that generation passed away. I also want to make another note here. Notice how God punished their sin. God gave the people exactly what they wanted. Sometimes God's punishment and sin in our life is to give us exactly what we want. Sometimes the worst punishment we can receive is to get what we want. How many of you, like, man, especially during the holidays, you know, we talk about this a lot. Like, you want the whole pie, and so you eat the whole pie, and then you get sick. Right? Or is that just me? Okay. Somebody accused me of talking about food a lot from the platform. That's because I like to eat. And now I'm about to bless you. Let's take a pause from the message for just a second because you need to know this. 
If you're ever in the greater Dallas, Fort Worth area, you need to go... (laughs) You need to go find a restaurant by the name of Rodeo Goat, and you need to order the ranch burger because it will change your life. (laughs) Now, what's going to happen there is when you get there, you're going to want to eat all of it. You're going to want that. You should restrain yourself because if you do what you want, you're going to eat the whole thing, then you're going to feel sick afterwards, but it's going to be worth it. (laughs) All right, that has nothing to do with my message. I just like being a good resource of information to you, and that, I promise, is, is good information. It's so good. I told Charity, all she has to do is tell me the word. I will drive to Dallas just to eat that hamburger again. <laughs> I am not kidding. God will punish us by giving us exactly what we wanted. The Israelites were there, and they didn't have faith that God could lead them into that land. And they said, we don't want to go into the promised land. And so God said, okay, you don't want to go, then you can just stay right where you're at. The worst punishment in life is to get stuck. If you've ever been stuck in life, it's so frustrating. It's the worst feeling in the world when you just feel like you're spinning your wheels. And sometimes God leads us to a season in life where he's trying to teach us something and he slows us down. He shuts every door. And sometimes you get in those seasons of life and God's trying to teach you something. I've been there. I will be there again. And I'll be there again after that. Why? Because in those seasons, God tries to teach us. You see every great person in scripture, God led through a desert season before he released them to their next season of life. We're talking about Moses. Moses had to go to the wilderness before God called him. He, you no know, fire in the bush. Jesus had to go to the wilderness. I mean, there's, sometimes God pleads us there. That's not what we're talking about here, though. God had led them and said, I need you to go forward because I have something for you. And they said, no, we're just going to stay right here. And you know what happened? They died right here. And my fear is out of 2020, a lot of Christians die spiritually right here. My fear out of 2020 is that a lot of churches die spiritually right here. Why? Because they stopped going forward. They stopped going forward. They threw an anchor down right where they were at, and the wind and the waves just overtook them, and spiritually they're done. However, there were two people that God said are going to take the promised land, Joshua and Caleb. Now, Joshua was going to be the next leader of the nation when Moses died. And God says specifically of Caleb, he said, Caleb has a different spirit. See, Caleb had this resolve in who God was. He followed God wholeheartedly. He had this this strength and this passion. He had this faith for the Lord. And this different spirit allowed him to finish. It's this tenacity that he chose to live with. What what I think the scriptures say is not a different spirit because God made him different. It was a different spirit because he chose to think differently than his countrymen. He chose to do things differently. He had this this choice that he could have went with the crowd, or he had this choice that he could press on, and he chose to press on. And if we're going to go forward in 2021, then we have to have a different spirit than what we're seeing in our culture. We have to have a different spirit than the common man. We have to have some discipline in our thinking. We have to have some discipline in our action. We have to have some discipline in our mindset. 
to say, I'm not going to be pushed around by the wind and the waves of the world. Instead, I'm going to choose to go forward in what the Lord has called me to do as an individual. God has given us a mandate to be his witnesses. God has called you to a specific work. And you're going to say, I'm going to finish my race no matter what happens. Now, I don't know what God has for your individual life in 2021. What I do know is that he placed every single person here for a reason. If you read through the New Testament, you see all these different things that show. I mean, we read in the Old Testament that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. God has placed us here for a reason. You read in the New Testament about how we're the body of Christ and how we are to do the work of Christ. Every single one of us has a role to play. In fact, he talks about it in 1 Corinthians 12. You can't look at somebody else and say, we don't need you. We need one another because together when we're fulfilling our call, Jesus is shown into our culture. Life doesn't always shake out the way that we think it should, but that doesn't void the calling that God has for us. Now, from a 30,000 foot view, all of us have the same mandate. We're to become more like Jesus. The first calling for every single believer is to be conformed into the image of the Son of God, which is Jesus Christ. Every single one of us are called to love our families more. We're called to be a witness in this community. But beyond those specifics, God has a role for every single one of us to play. What is your role? I don't know. You have to get alone with God and pray about that and ask God, what is it that you're calling me to do in this season? The only question is not, do you have a role to play in this season? The question is, are you going to go forward with that call just like Caleb did? Now, what did Caleb do that gave him a different spirit? I told you a moment ago, he had some discipline in his thinking, some discipline in his actions and his lifestyle. What were the things that Caleb did that made him different? Well, very quickly, I'm going to show you a few of these things that made him have a different spirit. The first is this. Caleb had, was solid in his convictions. I love people with strong convictions. You look out in the world and you can see some different people. They just put their stake in the ground and they're going to say what they believe according to their heart, what is true, and they're not going to waver by what other people say in their life. I've read a really good book this week. I was, as I was driving to Dallas, I listened to it on audiobook. First time I've ever done that. It was really cool. And it was from Jim Mattis, who was Secretary of Defense. He was a four-star um, general in the Marine Corps, and, and he was talking about how as a young man, he got in some trouble. I think he was about 19 years old, and, and he got into a little bit of trouble with the law, and he was actually arrested. Uh, he was before the judge, and the judge basically said, I don't want to ruin your life. And so instead of your life being ruined, here's what you're going to do. You're going to work or go to school throughout the week, and then every weekend you're going to report to jail, and you're going to spend your weekends in jail until you pay off your sentence. And so he was in prison. He was just bitter and angry, and, and one day he jumped up and he grabbed the prison cell uh, window bars and pulled himself up to look out the window. And he said his cellmate said, Jim, what are you looking at? And it had been raining, and Jim said, I'm looking at mud. And the guy laying on his cot could look up out the window, and he said, from here, I, all I can see is stars. And he said, you can look at the mud or you can look at the stars. It's ironic that another man in prison had this epiphany, and yet he wasn't living it out. But in that moment, that stuck with Jim Mattis. And Jim Mattis became Jim Mattis because in that moment, he decided to change his convictions and his outlook on life. And he started volunteering everywhere he could within the prison to reduce his sentence. And he joined the Marine Corps, and the rest is history. And he is known as a man who has strong convictions. In fact, he got himself in trouble a lot for saying things that no one else liked to hear but needed to be said. And the fact of the matter is, 
is that's inspiring to me because we as believers need to be people of strong conviction. We have, we have good, solid foundation to build our convictions upon, and we need to listen to this word, and we need to apply it to our life, and then we need to stand on these convictions. We don't have to stand on our opinion. We don't have to stand on our political motive, but we do need to stand upon the word of God, and we need to have convictions with the word of God, and we need to press forward. You see, what Caleb had was he had a healthy heart. He was a man of conviction. Apparently, he dwelt on the promises of God, the word of God, and his heart was set on these promises, and he was not going to allow anything else to persuade him from these convictions. The question that we have to ask ourselves is this, what is in our heart? What have we been filling ourselves with? If we want to be people of strong convictions, then we have to be getting the word of God inside of our hearts. We need to be, we need to be close to the Lord. We have an onslaught of negativity in our world. And the only way we're going to combat that negativity is by allowing the word of God to penetrate our hearts. I'd encourage you, find a way to get this in your life. Get up early, read this in the morning. It will change your life. If you can't read it, then listen to it. You're driving to work, put it on, whatever it takes. Get this inside of your heart. Because within this book is the answers to your life. It's, it is the light that goes before you and shows you the path that you're to walk. And when this is in your heart, you can be a man or a woman of conviction. Don't just, don't just read it, but let it soak into your heart. Dwell on it. Spiritual disciplines will always produce deeply seated convictions. And we need a church. We need a generation of believers that have strong convictions. So we're not tossed back and forth by every random event or random teaching or random emotion, but that we are able to go forward with what God has called us to do. If you're going to be an individual that goes forward with the mandate that God has for your life, then you have to have deeply rooted convictions in the word of God, have a different spirit. So Caleb had this, was, was solid in his convictions, but secondly, Caleb was steady in his steps. Caleb said to Joshua that he wholly followed the Lord. There was no partial obedience in Caleb's life. There was no whimsical emotion that knocked Caleb off track. There was no slip in his steps. Because Caleb was a man of solid conviction, he was steady in his steps. He tried to conform himself so that he could bring the glory of God through his life. God would get the glory from Caleb's obedience. He was the one who was going to constantly go, and he was going to take steps every time he came around. Men and women need to know the calling of God on their life for the next season. But more importantly, they need to know the calling of their God on their life in this season. This season is what matters most. We have a work to do, and you need to ask yourself, God, what do you want me to do? And then be sure-footed. Be moving. Don't get caught flat-footed. Don't get caught standing there. Be steady in your steps. Don't ever stop serving your neighbors. Don't ever stop being generous. Don't ever stop being a pillar in your family. Continually moving. We cannot waver in our personal commitment to the Lord. When one is wholly devoted to the Lord, one's complete aim and ambition is to look at the season that Christ has planted him or her in and then try to thrive in that season. Caleb couldn't control the outcome of his brother's decisions 45 years earlier. He couldn't control that they wanted to rebel against God. He was sold out. They were not. The result was that 
Caleb had to wait, but he never wavered in his commitment. And the culture is moving in a direction that doesn't inspire a lot of confidence for us as believers. And we might not be able to control that. But what we can control is where we're planted in Jay, Oklahoma, and Delaware County, and we can move forward. We can control our steps. We just need to be 100% dedicated to the Lord. So Caleb was solid in his convictions that led to this steady steps in his life. And then that produced something else. Third, we see that Caleb displayed graceful patience. Now, this is where probably a lot of us struggle. Like, I struggle. How many of you are patient? No, one hand went up in the whole building, right? (laughs) Most of us are not patient people. Caleb was a man of great convictions that produced this steady steps. And sometimes those steps had to be taken with graceful patience. I mean, imagine being Joshua and Caleb. You're born into slavery. You saw God rescue you through all these miracles, and now your countrymen chicken out? And then you had to wander around in the desert for 40 years? Like, that could make a person bitter. We don't like waiting five minutes in the drive-thru, let alone 40 years wandering around in the wilderness. And then, once the nation started taking the promised land, Caleb fought for his countrymen for five years before he went to say, it's my turn now. What's super interesting is that you don't see Caleb complaining in the waiting. Sometimes when we don't see the promises God fulfilled in our timing, we we struggle with patience. And Caleb didn't allow the waiting to diminish his faith. He stayed graceful in the waiting. And there's going to be a lot of tests of patience for us. And I'm not sure that I always pass the test. But we need to remember that God has called us to always be graceful no matter what season we're in. Whining, complaining, and giving up is not going to make the promise come any faster. Whining, complaining, and giving up isn't going to change one thing in your life or my life. So how we handle this season and the waiting is going to determine the effectiveness of the next season. Caleb had this conviction, this steadiness, and what it did is it ultimately cultivated in him a strength in which prepared him at 85 years old to say, now's my time. Because he was graceful, he was ready when the moment came for him. And some of us have been trying to accomplish what God has called us to do for a long time. There are things that God has laid on our hearts for us individually as our families, and we're not seeing these things happen yet. We need to stay steady. Don't lose patience. Don't give up. What if Caleb had given up at year 44? He would have never seen the promise. But Caleb didn't. He lived at year 45. At 85 years old, he goes to Joshua and says, now's my time. So Caleb was solid in his convictions. He was steady in his steps. He displayed this graceful patience. And I want to close with this if the worship team comes back. Number four. Caleb strengthened himself in the Lord. The key is that Caleb knew his strength came from the Lord. If God kept him alive an additional 45 years, then he was going to give God all the glory and all the praise for that. I love his tenacity when he comes to Joshua. He says, I'm 85 years old, but I can still fight like a young man. And I've always wondered about that passage. Physically, was he still like he was when he was 40? 
You know, I mean, because you, you can read this both ways. Like, could he still run the same 40-yard dash time that he could when he was 40? Or was it all right here and right here when he said, look, I'm going to still fight. I can still do it. It might be harder today than it was yesterday, but I'm not giving up. Let me tell you, it doesn't matter if he ran the same 40 or not. It was his heart and his spirit that said, I'm going to go until the bitter end. And that's a tenacity that I want. And so then when he goes to Joshua, the best part of this, he's like, I'm 85 years old. I still fight like I'm a young man. So give me the place that no one else wanted. Give me Hebron. See, Hebron was where the giants were supposedly at. And here's what we need to see. We need to set our heart on the things that only God can make happen. Caleb wanted what no one else wanted. He wanted to do the hard things. And going forward in 2021 is not going to be easy. There are going to be missteps, but we need to go forward. Remember something. Hebron was the place where the forefathers were buried, and that's where the giants were. And Caleb said, that's where I want to go. He wanted to do the hard things. Church, let's be individuals that when God's taking volunteers, we volunteer to do the hard things. See, the way I see it, we have two options as believers. We can live a self-centered lifestyle where we pray prayers like, God, bless me with all the finances. God, bless me with the big house. God, bless me with the cars and bless me with all the good things. And I'm not trying to mock that. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm sure you have those dreams. I, I mean, I, I don't want to live in a tent. I want, you know, nice things as well. I'm sure you do. So I'm not trying to mock that at all. Or we can volunteer for the other side and say, God, you've planted me here. So put the one person in Delaware County that's far from you, but is ready to come to you. Let me cross paths with them so that I can tell them about you. See, that's a lot, that's a lot different prayer to pray than praying, God, let me get a let me get a raise this next week. a lot more difficult to volunteer and say, God, I want to start practicing extravagant generosity. That means when I'm walking through Walmart, if you tell me to give $100 to the person buying the groceries in front of them, that's what I'm going to do. See, that's a lot harder prayer to pray because those are the things nobody else wants to do. But maybe that's you praying, God, help me truly love the family that I'm next to either in church or in my neighborhood or wherever I live at. See, those are not easy things to do. Why? Because those, those things don't build your individual platform. When you're extravagantly generous, that means you're giving something away. Maybe to someone you never see again. When you throw yourself out there and you're a witness to Jesus, that's difficult because you might be rejected. But on the other side of this, maybe God saves a soul and changes somebody's family legacy because you or I had the boldness to speak up. Or maybe through our generosity, God does something that changes somebody's life. Or maybe when we're just simply friendly, God works. See, those are kingdom things. Those are the things that we need to go forward on. See, I'm not trying to be cynical. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm not trying to be cynical with this stuff over here. But man, in the big scheme of things, if 2020 showed us anything, 
bigger paychecks, the bigger houses, all that stuff can vanish like that. So let's fight for something that's eternal. Let's fight for something that's real. If God was looking for a volunteer to disciple a drug addict, I hope that he would find him at JFA. Those are the things that build Jesus' platform. Those are the hard things that I hope we volunteer for. Those are the things that Caleb would have done. And I hope that we do them as well. What's super crazy about Caleb is he's there with Joshua and he says, give me Hebron, the place nobody else wants. If you flip over in your Bible a few pages later, you'll see that after he, after he conquered Hebron, he went and he gave it to the Levites, the priests. What does that mean? Well, see, whenever they conquered the promised land, one of the tribes, the Levites, were the priests to God. And so when the land was allotted out, they didn't receive any inheritance. And so Caleb comes and says, I want them to have a place to live. Hebron, you can have it. He gave it to as a gift. And what that shows us is that Caleb didn't fight for his own glory. He was fighting for the glory of God. There was nothing selfish in his, in his motives. When we can get to that place where we're not selfishly advancing our own kingdom or our own ideals, and we say, God, whatever you're calling me to do, I'll say yes to. That's a place we can start seeing a difference. Because if you flip over a lot of pages in your Bible, what you'll see is that Hebron was the region where Jesus was crucified. Judah, Caleb's tribe, was Jesus' tribe. So what Caleb was doing in this moment that he could not have known is that he was fighting for salvation of the entire world that he was never going to meet. If Caleb hadn't done what he did thousands of years ago, you and I wouldn't be here today. Because Caleb said, I'm going to go forward. And he took the promised land. And he took heaven. Thousands of years later, Jesus could die. And thousands of years later, you and I could be in this place with the hope of heaven. You never know the internal consequences when you say, I'm going to go forward for God. So what does God want you to do in 2021? What does God want us to do as a church? Well, if you want to know what we feel like we intend to do as a church, then you need to come tonight at six o'clock. But for us as individuals, I know that God has a plan and a purpose. And I know that it revolves bringing him glory because the last thing Jesus told his disciples, Matthew 28, starting verse number 18, and when Jesus came to them, he said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Tonight, we're going to talk about how we flesh that out as a church. But this morning, my question is, how are you going to flesh out that mandate as an individual? What prayers do you need to pray this year? What things do you need to trust God for? If you would stand with me this morning, and you have this little compass as a little tangible reminder in your seat. I want you to grab this just for a second. Every single one of us are called to go forward. The question is, what, where are you to go forward next? What thing is God calling you to do? See, a compass keeps you on the straight and narrow so that you can walk the direction you need to go. Where do you need to go? What direction do you need to walk? What has God called you to do?
Here in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to come down and find a place to pray at our altars. There's something special about praying at the front of the church. No, but there is something tangible about leaving your seat saying, God, I'm so serious that I'm going to walk out and I'm going to find a place to pray. And I would say this, if we have a hard time walking over seats to pray at the front of a church, we're going to have a real hard time to live out our calling in the community. But that's beside the point. I would say this, though, that when you trust God and say, God, I'm giving you an opportunity to point me in a direction and I'm going to stay squared away to that calling. Maybe we have a generation of Caleb's in this place. What is God calling you to do?